Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. People who look at the role of Massachusetts and New England privateers uh, during the early years of the war need to uh, or should recognize the important contribution that they made. Um, It's a result of um, their efforts uh, that they were able to drive the, the British Army in Boston from that town. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Alexander Kane talking about his new article focusing on privateers during the Siege of Boston. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the Museum of the American Revolution, exploring the ideas, events, and legacies of America's revolutionary beginnings. Plan your visit today. For more information, visit www.amrevmuseum.org. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another edition of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. On today's episode, we're joined by Journal of the American Revolution contributor, Alexander Kane, and we're going to talk about pirates. Well, sort of talk about pirates, that is. We're going to talk about legal piracy, privateering, specifically during the siege of Boston at the very beginning of the American Revolution. I've always been fascinated by piracy in the 17th and 18th centuries because although they were labeled the pirates of the Caribbean, the scoundrels, the enemies of all nations, and they really did plague all major world powers and world global shipping equally. One of the most fascinating things about the whole experience to me was the fact that they were the product of empire. Go back all the way to Queen Anne's War, and you'll see a naval war in the Caribbean, and both the British combatants and the French combatants decide that the cheapest and most efficient way to fight the war is simply by legalizing piracy, privateering, uh, and letting them loose on each other in the Caribbean. Well, the war ends, and now you have an entire Caribbean sea filled with these uh, pretty rough type characters that suddenly are out of work. And wouldn't you know it, the only thing they're really good at, raiding, pillaging, and plundering, uh, goes away as far as any notion of king and country is concerned, and privateers become pirates. It's one of those ultimate backfires, I guess you could say, from the imperial concept. Uh, but it's fascinating to me, this, this idea that as reviled as pirates can be, uh, simple regulation and registration turns a no-good, low-down, rotten pirate uh, into one of the great defenders of king and country, uh, a privateer. So Alexander Kane knows a lot about this subject. Uh, He offers tours up and down the New England coast, uh, and you'll hear that in the interview. He gives us a really wonderful insight, and the article's great. Of course, you can find it at www.amrevmuseum.org. 
allthingsliberty.com to read the whole thing. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Alexander Kane. Alexander Kane, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. Tell us about your background. Sure. Um, I uh, graduated from Merrimack College in 1993 with a degree in economics, and in 1996 with a Juris Doctor degree from New England School of Law. For the past 20 years, I have been a college-level instructor at various Boston institutions, as well as um, I am the author behind the historical blog called Historical Nerdery. Um, I have uh, published two books, several articles on uh, New England militias and loyalists during the American Revolution. And I am the owner of Untapped History, which is a award-winning historical tour company based in Newburyport, Massachusetts. What first drew your interest into this topic? You know, it, it's funny. It has to do with my tour company, Untapped History. When my business partner and I began to design the tour for Newburyport, Massachusetts, we got a lot of requests to look into the privateer activities of Newburyport, Massachusetts. And when we had finished research in the area, we found that Newburyport had contributed over 100 uh, privateer vessels to the American cause during the American Revolution, as well as turning their harbor into a virtual fortress uh, as a safe haven for Massachusetts privateers. So as a result, I began uh, to start to examine even further uh, what was exactly the uh, role of Massachusetts privateers uh, during the siege of Boston. Talk about Gage's tenuous position in Boston after Lexington and Concord. Sure, absolutely. They, they were in a very bad position is the best way to describe it. Uh, as of April 20th, 1775, uh, Gage was facing uh, essentially a half moon of an enemy army at his gates. The, uh, the half circle extended as far north uh, as uh, Chelsea uh, with outposts in Beverly, Marblehead, and Lynn, Massachusetts, uh, encircled through Cambridge down to Roxbury, uh, down to uh, extremities down in the uh, Braintree region as well. And General Gage quickly realized that not only was uh, society collapsing around him inside Boston, but he was facing the uh, severe likelihood that fresh provisions from the interior were being cut off from him. Um, at first, he contemplated uh, purchasing Americans, uh, supplies from American farmers who resided in the uh, Boston Islands within Boston Harbor. But uh, as a result, unfortunately, many... Um, American Massachusetts farmers were reluctant uh, to cooperate. Uh, so as a result, he was forced, because of the shortage of supplies that he was facing, to actually engage in forage operations throughout the islands in Boston Harbor to try and grab as many supplies as possible. This pretty bad situation for the British was viewed as an opportunity for the Massachusetts Committee of Safety. What did they see and what were their plans? It's a twofold plan. Um, first of all, they, they realized that their best approach to get the Gage and his army out of Boston is to starve them out. And from his land forces, what they decide to do is they begin to place militia troops 
in various observation points where they can observe British operations within the harbor. There were soldiers stationed in Chelsea. There were soldiers stationed in Lynn. Uh, soldiers stationed in Braintree in a section which is now Quincy, Massachusetts. And they were charged with the results uh, or charged with the uh, uh, responsibility of trying to uh, uh, identify and then intercept any British attempts to uh, obtain supplies from the uh, islands. A perfect example of this operation is the Battle of Chelsea Creek, which took place in May of 1775 which essentially was a operation uh, under the authority of the Massachusetts Provincial Congress and the Massachusetts Committee of Safety to uh, interdict any British supplies and prevent them from ending up in Gage's hands. The second uh, tier uh, that the Massachusetts Committee of Safety saw was the use of what is referred to as privateering. Uh, They felt that if they could intercept British supply lines over the waters, they may be able to starve Gage out of Boston. For those that don't know, talk a bit about the act of privateering. What is it and and what makes someone a good privateer? You you know, privateering, uh, myself and and my, my business partner in the tour company, we call it lawful piracy. Basically, privateering was the act of seizing enemy supply or military vessels. And these were done actually not by the United States Navy or the Continental Navy. These were civilian-owned warships. And what would happen is privateers, whether they were the ship owners or the ship captains, would obtain what were referred to as letters of mark, which were issued by government authorities. And they authorized um, uh, ship captains and its crew to go out and harass British shipping and British supply lines. Um, it was a great opportunity from a perspective as a privateer to secure profit. Uh, Massachusetts authorities actively encouraged just about anyone with a seaworthy vessel to partake in privateer operations and placed no limits uh, on the number of ships that received letters of mark. A interesting example of this that I've recently encountered uh, was a privateer operation that was taking place in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Several uh, ship merchants got together. They sent a ship to Guadalupe, which was a French colony, basically purchased every uh, uh, French weapon they could get their hands on, whether it was cannons, swivel guns, muskets, swords, uh, cartridge boxes, and then brought them back to Newburyport and armed up as many civilian vessels as possible and then sent them out to start harassing British shipping lines. In your opinion, who were among the most successful privateers at this time? Um, There are two during the Siege of Boston that actually stand out to me. Uh, I would call these two the rock stars of early American privateering during uh, the American Revolution. Uh, They they were John Manley, um, who was alleged to have been from Marblehead, Massachusetts, although historians believe he actually may have been from Boston, Massachusetts, and then often Boardman, who was from Newburyport, Massachusetts. Um, John Manley um, was a absolute, very aggressive privateer. Uh, he was one of Washington's first privateers uh, operating out of Beverly, Massachusetts. And by the end of 1775, he had actually captured several uh, prizes carrying cargoes that ranged from food to rum 
to coal, dry goods, all of which were, were the Continental Army uh, laying siege to Boston desperately needed. He was also responsible, uh, ultimately, for the capture of the uh, supply ship Nancy. Now, often Boardman was a Newburyport privateer, and he was an interesting character because he actually succeeded in capturing two vessels in one day. Uh, he ended up capturing the Suki, uh, which was a loyalist supply ship that was coming from Ireland, and it was bound for Boston. And it was actually the second largest uh, supply capture um, of the war to that point. What is interesting is his second capture um, was a British supply ship that was off the coast of Newburyport and had mistakenly believed that Newburyport was um, was Boston. And uh, uh, Boardman ended up sending out himself and, and a few other individuals where they posed as ship's pilots and led the uh, British supply, uh, supply ship into Boston Harbor, excuse me, led the supply ship into Newburyport Harbor uh, and led to the uh, vessel's capture. Uh, Boardman went on to actually lead an armada of uh, privateer vessels uh, from uh, Newburyport. I think the number is somewhere approximately about 30 vessels that he commanded uh, in the early years of the war. One of the great parts of your article is a story you relay about uh, two ships, the Lee and the Nancy. Could you tell us that story? Well, thank you. Sure, that, that is a great, great uh, story, and it's also a, uh, a major accomplishment uh, for the American cause, uh, particularly for Continental troops who are sitting outside of Boston. Uh, this incident happened on November 25th of 1775 when uh, John Manley uh, is commanding the Lee, uh, which is a uh, privateer uh, out of Beverly. Uh, around dusk, he notices uh, a 250-ton brig, which is the Nancy, uh, which is en route to Boston. The Nancy made the mistake of mistaking uh, Manley and his ship, the Lee, for a pilot boat. And because they were somewhat lost and they, they were facing some nautical issues about approaching Boston Harbor, they set up a string of signal flags. Uh, Captain Manley, uh, in turn, sent out a boat with uh, some of his carefully picked men, ordering them to conceal their weapons as they rowed uh, towards the vessel and then boarded the ship. Uh, Manley's crew actually took the Nancy completely by surprise, and the entire crew surrendered without resistance. When Manley and his crew examined this British supply vessel, uh, they hit the mother load. Uh, the Nancy was actually a military ordnance vessel uh, from Woolrich, England. They carried no less than 2,000 muskets, 31 tons of musket shot, uh, 30,000 uh, 30, round, uh, round shot of various sizes, about 100,000 musket flints, uh, 11 mortar beds, and um, 2,700 uh, pounds of 13-inch uh, mortar shot. Uh, so this was a uh, vital shot in the arm to the Continental Army's cause when they uh, captured this vessel. There are disparaging accounts, or excuse me, there are dis, uh, different accounts where the uh, Nancy ultimately ended up after its capture. Most primary sources say it ended up in Gloucester Harbor. There are some accounts that indicate that it may have ended up in Newburyport Harbor. 
regardless, the ship was essentially stripped down of everything that wasn't nailed to the deck, and the necessary uh, supplies were immediately shipped off to the Continental Army. What was the British response to these privateering actions? What did you find? Um, Gage was completely caught off guard uh, by these uh, activities. Um, Initially, you had British supply vessels that would operate in convoys from England or Nova Scotia or Canada down to Boston. And they traveled without, um, uh, without military escort. Um, that started to change uh, in the fall of 1775. Uh, the Royal Navy began to actively complain, uh, particularly under Admiral Graves, um, that they needed to lash out at the various Massachusetts and Southern New Hampshire towns along the seacoast that were providing safe harbor to these privateer activities. Um, there were at least two plans that I am aware of that the British Army, excuse me, the British Navy had proposed sailing um, vessels up along the Massachusetts coast from Salem, Massachusetts to Ipswich to Newburyport, eventually to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and then up into Maine, where they would fire the town and attempt to force into the harbors to destroy as many privateer vessels as possible. The downside was, as Admiral Graves realized, he just didn't have enough vessels uh, to, uh, to conduct the operation. So as a result, by 1775, 1776, many of these supply vessels which are traveling or attempting to travel to Boston are just fair game, and they don't have uh, necessary protection uh, to ensure they are, they are making it safely to Boston. It wouldn't be until 1777 or 1778 that the Royal Navy actually changes its tactics to address the New England privateer issue. Uh, and some of the tactics they took is they would actually place warships within the uh, convoys. They would disguise warships uh, as, um, as supply vessels, um, or they would attempt to lure New England vessels uh, off of the coast of Cape Ann or off of the coast of uh, New England out into the open ocean, where then several warships would be waiting to pick off the vessels. How do you evaluate the overall success of these actions? in the larger story of the siege of Boston? You know, it's interesting because this is a military operation that doesn't get the attention that it should. Um, When people often think of of privateers, they think of maybe one or two ships or one or two captains who were acting independently, when in fact they really weren't. This was a concerted effort between the Massachusetts Provincial Congress the Massachusetts uh, Committee of Safety, General Washington, and then the ship captains. And it was a very, very successful operation. Um, Various newspaper accounts from 1775, early 1776, report the rapid succession of British supply vessels and warships um, actually being uh, captured. Uh, John Adams, James Warren, and uh, others actually comment just how successful uh, these operations uh, have been. And it's an operation that is not, uh, does not go unnoticed uh, by the Royal Navy, uh, as well as General Gage. Um, General Gage openly complains on the eve of the evacuation of Boston 
that the New England privateers, particularly those from Massachusetts, from uh, Essex County, as well as Plymouth County, are just destroying uh, his uh, supply lines. Uh, Commodores back in uh, London are actually uh, indicating that trade and um, uh, attempts to supply the besieged army in Boston are just uh, are just starving because they they are not getting the necessary supplies in Massachusetts privateers uh, are basically cutting them off and, and choking them. What does this subject reveal to us about the greater story of the revolutionary era? Two, two things. And I think the first thing is, I, I think um, people who look at the role of Massachusetts and New England privateers uh, during the early years of the war need to, uh, um, or should recognize the important contribution that they made. Um, it's a result of um, their efforts uh, that they were able to drive um, the Boston, uh, the British Army in Boston from that town. Between November of 1775 and March of 1776, um, there were over 31 vessels captured by Massachusetts privateers, which according to a study by the uh, historian James Richard Wills, indicates that's 1.5 million pounds uh, between the shipping and the supplies that were seized uh, during that uh, time. Related to that is the, the effect that privateers had um, on the siege of Boston. Um, with the capture of supply vessels and essentially cutting off ocean-bound supply lines, uh, not only did Americans gain muskets, ammunition, and provisions, um, but the British uh, soldiers, as well as the occupants of uh, Boston, began to starve. And it, it was basically one of the motivating factors for Gage to start considering abandoning the town. I think the second um, uh, point relative to uh, the role of privateers in, in the overall aspect of the American Revolution is that this is, you know, when people think of the roles of uh, the military during the American Revolution, they naturally think of the Continental Army, or they naturally think of um, the American Continental Navy, including John Paul Jones. This essentially was a civilian operation. These were sailors and ship owners and merchants who banded together to go out and granted they would make profit if they captured these vessels, um, but they were also uh, attempting to choke off uh, British operations and to chop British land operations off at the knees. And so it, it should be recognized that many of the long-term uh, success of the Continental Army and the land operations are due to the privateer uh, squadrons that are operating throughout the North Atlantic. Alexander Kane, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.